Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I want to start this week off a little bit like I did last week by saying that as I speak today, and the reason I'm doing this is because I think it's very important that we're mindful of these things. But as I speak today, there are people who are watching online and people in different areas of the, of the country and different areas of the world that can't really pull themselves out of bed. And the depression and the anxiety that they feel is just too great. And I know for some of you, this is very foreign. It's not something that you, you're like, well, why can't they pull them? Sir, I'm sure I have bad days too. I know it's very hard for some of you to understand. And I respect that. I appreciate that. But I think it's important to have, a, have an understanding of what so many people are going through. Uh, they're not getting up to take a shower. They're not getting up to, uh, to, to take care of themselves at all. Often they're not fixing themselves breakfast. They're not in a place where they can take care of their kids or take care of their kids well. And there's a whole nother level of guilt that's associated with that when they, when they don't feel like they're able to do that. And there's just this feeling of, of, of just hopelessness that's, that's just too great. There are other people that are completely taken out of their normal thought life because the anxiety is just so strong. I mean, it literally has the ability to, to take over your entire body to the point that you feel like everything around you is muted. People are trying to tell you, well, just come out and have lunch with me, or, or yeah, you need to just go back to work and you're, you'll feel better. You need to go hang out with your friends. You need to do this. You need to do that. But there's just this feeling that you have that I, I think there's just probably a few of us in here that know what that feels like, that it's just so overwhelming that you can't see yourself being able to do anything at all. And you're just asking yourself, you know, what's wrong with me is this feeling of craziness just radiates throughout your entire body. Others just don't feel normal. You just don't feel normal. And you, you, you just, you, you, you associate this, this kid or this person that you used to be and how you were very extroverted and you were very outgoing and you were good to be around and you had a lot of friends, but now you feel like I don't even want to bring my burdens upon other people. Like, I don't even want to take like, like what I'm becoming and what I am. And as a result, what people often do in this situation is they really, they isolate themselves in really strong ways. And that's one of the most dangerous things that we can do. Then there are other people that are in here and you're just, uh, and some people that are listening online, you're just crippled by fear. You're afraid of everything. I mean, you are afraid of everything. Every, every time you walk in somewhere, you lock a door. Every time you see a new person come up, you feel like they could be a threat. Everything in your life is another reason to feel fear about something. You're distrustful of other people. Everything could be damaging. And everything that you experience in every way is fear. Uh, now, this stuff, these, these kinds of emotions, what they do is they breed a lot of insecurity. 
All right, so people feel like they, they can't get to know other people. They feel like no one is like them. Very common feeling. Nobody else is like me. You know, nobody else is going through what I am. It's very common. It also breeds a lot of hopelessness. You know, my life is over, a lot of fatalism. It breeds a lot of apathy or indifference to everything. And basically what that means is you just don't care. Like people will try to get you involved in things. You feel like you used to do this. Maybe you should try this. And you just don't care about a lot of the things that you used to be involved with. Other people like myself, when they go through some of these things, they become reckless and they make really bad decisions. Most of you know of my, of my history of alcoholism in the past and, and, and just quite frankly, just really, really poor decision making. So a lot of times that, that goes on. For other people, it's just misery. It's just always feeling unhappy. All of these experiences are very real. And as I, as I look into the camera and as I, as I talk to you guys that are here today, we just as a church, we want, we want to validate that. All right, we want to say that we know that that's a very real thing. Some of you didn't wake up. Everything is sunshine. Everything is wonderful. This is a very real thing. And I believe that the presence of God, if you are seeking the presence of God, is with you, even when you don't feel it. I, I think this God thing, we're still just barely touching the surface of what God can and what God will do. And we're going to see today this amazing thing that God did in an individual's life, where in the second part of this series, you're not alone. And we are talking about mental health issues as a conversation and how God shows up in the presence of these things. Now, what I want to provide you with today is going to be a little bit different of a perspective than what you might be used to. There are people that are listening today and people that are in here that will listen to the podcast later, and you may feel that there is no way out everything is hopeless. There is, there is no way out. This is your life. This is your cross to bear. And there is no way out whatsoever. Medication doesn't work. All right. Medications failed you. Therapy is a waste of time. Like it's just not something that's really doing much for you, or you're just so gripped by your emotions and where you are in your head. It's just not helping. People are telling you to diet and to exercise and to create routines and habits in your life that, that are very good for mental health, but nothing is working. And I'm going to say something that's kind of dark, and I'm not a pessimistic person, but I believe, I do firmly believe that sometimes in your mindset with the way that you feel, there is no way out. But the answer is a little bit different, and this is something that you've probably never considered. God will always find a way in. All right, so there may be no way out. It may seem like I can't overcome this. I, I do have this heavy weight. I do feel absolutely horrible. It's even more difficult that the people that I'm around look at me like, what's wrong with you? Just be happy. Just be yourself. Just consider everything that you have. Just consider God's blessings. And you're like, I'm trying to do that. Like, I really want that for my life. But I, and that's even more frustrating. Because you're like, why can't I feel happy? Why can't I feel this way? The point that I'm making today is that sometimes it feels that there is no way out, but that God will always find a way in. And when you grab that, and whenever you start to believe that, and you start to see that as a reality in your life, everything changes. The problem is there are a lot of people that never get to that place because of hopelessness, because of fear, because of doubt, and everything above. So we see ourselves as wanting a normal life, 
in a normal life on the outside, but we're not allowing God to invade the inside. And that's what has to happen. So Job, you had to know we were going to Job. All right. You had to know in this series, at some point, you were going to hear from Job. Because Job is going to be the prototype of everything biblical, as far as I'm concerned, along the lines of depression. And I've never felt, uh, th- thought about it this way, but if we were to try to diagnose Job the way that we would today, with everything that happens in Job's life, I would call that post-traumatic stress disorder. I believe that's about the closest thing among anxiety and depression and everything that's going to follow that is often associated with PTSD. All right, but we're going to look at Job's life, and there's going to be a lot of scripture today that we're going to look at, and and it's going to be very important because he is the the, the poster child of a bad day. All right, he is the, the best example that we can possibly look at, and you're going to look at some issues that Job goes through, and then we're going to see some solutions that happens in Job's life, Job's life that are going to be even more important. So Job is a, a wealthy man. All right, Job is a godly man. And in the course of one day, Job receives four messages, each bearing news that his livestock, his servants, and his 10 children have all died. Not not the tragedy of losing a child. Ten children. I'm sorry, the livestock can go. And my servants, I'm going to miss. There's no question. Ten children. One day. Job is then afflicted with sores all over his body. This is Job 1 and 2. Job is then afflicted with sores all over his body, and you're thinking, at least I've got my rock, at least I've got my support system, at least I've got my wife. And you know what she does? She tells Job to curse God. So even his his deepest relationship, which will also include his friends later, his support system, everyone abandons Job in the place that he's at. So you think you're having a bad day? You think that things are hard? You think that an episode of depression comes out of nowhere? You think all of a sudden something's triggered anxiety because of someone that you happen to see in public or relationship that you had in the past? I can promise you that Job has been through more than you will ever be able to fathom in your life. So Job chapter 6, if you want to turn there, We're going to be in verses 1 through 13, I think, today. Job chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. You can look on your phone, follow on the screen, however you want to. We're going to read a little bit about Job today, and then we're going to go further. So this is what it says. And this is after all that stuff has happened, okay? Oh, that my grief were actually weighed. All of it were lifted up in scales. For now, it's heavier than the sands of the sea. What's really strange about this, because keep in mind, this is thousands of years ago, is that if you know anything about clinical depression and you've suffered from depression, there's a heaviness to it. And I don't know how to explain that. It's kind of one of those things, if you know, you know, but when you can't get out of bed or you have to get ready to go somewhere or you have to take care of your kids or you have responsibilities for the day, it's like your body all of a sudden weighs a lot more. 
Some of you know that experience. It's like you just can't pull yourself into an experience the way that you need to be able to pull yourself into that experience. Therefore, my words are rash. The Almighty's arrows are in me. My spirit drinks their poison, and God's terrors are arrayed against me. Does a donkey bray over grass or an ox bellow over its fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt, or does egg white have taste? I refuse to touch them. They resemble food for the sick. Oh, that what I've requested would come true and that God would grant my hope. And you think, oh, well, this is great. He's got some kind of hope. He, he wants God to take care of him in some way. This is amazing. What does he want God to do? That God would be willing to crush me, release his hand, and cut me off. I'd still take comfort relieved, even though perishing in pain, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should hope? My end that my life should drag on. Is my strength that of rocks, my flesh bronze? I don't have a helper for myself. Success has been taken from me. And this is the experience that a lot of people are having right now. Because you saw yourself as this successful business person. You saw yourself as a nurse or as a school teacher. You saw yourself as a loving husband. Or you saw yourself as a loving wife. You saw yourself in these experiences in which you had a somewhat normal life. And it feels like those things are being pulled away from you. It's amazing how common this is, all right, with what we're actually going through today. So before you write Job off, and please make sure you understand this is a mistake. Before you write Job off and say, he doesn't know what you're going through, and he doesn't understand your pain, and he doesn't understand the things that are difficult for you, I want to share with you where Job is in this moment, and some of you are going to be able to relate to where he is in this moment now or in the past or sometime in the future. Okay, so first, Job knows that God is the producer of his pain. He knows that God is the producer of the pain. And this is a very difficult thing to have to admit that God is actually one producing the pain. If you go back and you look at chapter one and chapter two, you see that the enemy comes forward and asks if he can tempt. Or I'm sorry, God goes first, if you considered my servant, and then Satan steps right in, and God is the one that had given the permission. So he knows that God is the producer of his pain. And this is the way that he says it in verse four. The Almighty's arrows are in me. My spirit drinks their poison, and God's terrors are arraigned against me. Basically what he's saying is I'm dealing with a double whammy here. I'm dealing with the fact that I'm being shot by the impact of this arrow, but then all of a sudden the poison from this arrow is going through my bloodstream. And that may be the way that a lot of you feel right now. And quite frankly, the place that we first want to go, as we talked about last week, is we want to blame God. We don't want to blame the enemy. We don't take, want to take into consideration the influence that the enemy has in this situation. 
But often what we want to do is we want to blame God. How many times in your life have you watched people walk away because they've questioned God? Because they put the blame on God. God did this to me. If God was loving, if God was caring, if God truly had my best interests at heart, this never would have happened. I'd never be going through this. I would have never experienced anything like this. And I can't tell you the amount of people that I've witnessed over time that have quit, or, or even worse, sometimes they're standing still because they're convinced that God has done this to them for bad reason. It's easy to develop a negative view of God if you believe that God is responsible for all your problems and for all your pain. But the second thing is, Job describes death as comfort. Can you imagine being in a situation in which you actually describe death as comfort. There are some of you in here that say, well, other than going to heaven whenever I die, which is going to be this wonderful experience, death is definitely not comfortable. But what if your mind will not stop racing, which is monstrous thoughts? What if you're a person because of clinical illness, that your anxiety is so strong that everywhere you go, you feel like you just have to escape the situation. Thoughts racing, body overtaken, like distorted, fight or flight. You feel like you're about to die. You feel like you're going crazy. Everything is just deeply disoriented. You're depressed. You can't do anything. And here's the, bad, the, the thing for a lot of people. Nothing bad has happened to them. They're not in a bad situation in their life. They've not had a recent tragedy. They've not been abused. They have a good job. They have a wonderful family. And they just don't understand why they feel the way that they do. I know that this is completely foreign to a lot of you, but this is very, very real. And this is where Job is. He's saying, if I'm just dead, if I'm not breathing, if I'm not having to worry about all these things, in some ways, death would be better than what I'm experiencing. This is what he said. Oh, that I have requested what I've requested would come and God grant my hope. He's actually calling it hope that God would be willing to crush me, release his hand and cut me off. I'd still take comfort relieved, even though in persistent pain, for I've not denied the words of the Holy One. So his faith is still there. But the pain is just too overwhelming. And what some of you are going through right now what some of you are feeling, the mental anguish that you are going through, it's overwhelming. I mean, it feels like there is no control that you have whatsoever. Thus, you're left with this feeling of hope, hopelessness. Have you been there before? Suicidal ideations that won't seem to leave your mind? If some of you were honest enough, if you were really honest, you could admit that there were times that death felt better than life. It's the reality of some of the people that are listening today. And some of you are in this place today. And if you are, 
Keep listening. Notice this one, and I think this is the worst one because this is the worst one because this is where the enemy wins. Job is close to a place of quitting. He's close to a place of quitting. And I cannot tell you, I can't even remember the statistic, how many pastors per month leave the ministry because it becomes too difficult. And it doesn't become too difficult because they all of a sudden don't love preaching. It doesn't become too difficult because they don't feel called. It becomes too difficult because the anxiety and the stress and the depression and the isolation and all of those things start to build up. And if you don't have outlets, if you don't have places that you can look and people that you can go to, it just gets harder and harder and harder. And I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that there are people that are in here right now, in this room. Let's just, let's just not take into consideration the online audience. That you're a place where you feel like quitting. And if you're not in that place right now, you were just recently in a place where you felt like quitting because it is just too overwhelming. So he says, when my strength, what is my strength that I should hope, my end that my life should drag on? Is my strength that of rocks, my flesh, bronze? I don't want to have a help. I don't have a helper for myself. Success has been taken from me. So the focus is really here. The ultimate goal that the enemy has in your life is to bring you to a place where you feel like quitting. And I can be honest enough to admit that, that I've been in that place before in ministry. I've been in a place where I've said, just teaching college, I've told Beth it was a breeze compared to ministry. Some of you in here that, that, that serve in the church, you're saying, I'm doing all of these other things in my life. It would be so easy to just step back. Now, when you quit or when you stand still, and maybe more frequently in this room right now, we have people that are just standing still. You are feeding into what the enemy wants for your life. God is trying to move you forward. God is trying to say that there is more. God is not in any way making the things that you are going through small. But some of you, some of you are in a place where you're just like, I, I, I've had enough. This is enough. I can't take this anymore. It has to be easier than this. So what happens is, in this misery, Job finds himself, and this is the most important place that you're ever going to be in your spiritual walk, by far. He finds himself in this transitional place that some of you are in right now. And just to be fair, throughout your life with Jesus, there are going to be several crossroads. There are going to be several transitional places that you are going to go through. Now, the first thought is, and this is where some of you are, I can't do this. There is no possible way that I can do this. I cannot continue to carry this weight. I cannot continue to feel this way. I'm so departed from the person that I used to be. I can no longer do this. But this is where Job goes. And this is where the transition is. And this is where you have to be. I can't do this without God. I can't do this without God. It's not enough to say, I can't do this. 
but you have to recognize there is a path forward. See, this is the thing. Life is hard. And if we're going to be really honest, sometimes life is really, really horrible. Bad things happen. But the, the alternative for me, when I say I can't do this and I'm not going to do it anymore and I'm not going to choose to do it with God, means that I am returning to a person that suffers. I am returning to a person that cannot do anything without God. I was having a hypothetical conversation whenever I was in Denver recently, and I was thinking about the most difficult thing that I could possibly go through. And we all have those. What is the most difficult thing that you could go through? And for me, as I was talking to these two individuals, the most difficult thing I can imagine if my children died. Similar to Job's situation, I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I could continue to function. I don't know how I could continue to do anything. But I'm going to tell you something worse than that. Me trying to push through my life on my own without God. God never abandoned me, and I am not in a position to abandon God at any point. So how do I go from returning to the narcissistic person that I was? How do I go for returning? I don't even know how poorly I would treat Beth. How do I go forward without drinking again? God has brought everything to my life. And if I have to suffer, and if I have to go through difficult things, I am going through those things in my relationship with God. And there is no alternative whatsoever, regardless of what happens. Children have died. Livestock has died. Servants have died. And his wife, the person that's supposed to be there, has turned on him. And he finds himself in this transitional place. I can't do this. I never anticipated this. I cannot believe this has happened to me. But he has that aha moment that many of us have had in which everything changes in his life. And this is what he does. And this is important. It's important for you because some of you are going through this transition as well. And let me say this. I talked about this last week, but I think it's important enough to mention again. I was in a recovery meeting several years ago. There was a man in there who started to talk about the gruesome details of the child abuse that he had been through. The suffering, the anguish, the things that he couldn't get out of his mind, all of those horrible things that I'm sitting here, you know, uh, trying to listen to these, these things as hard as it was. And he says, my life really changed when I went from being a victim of sexual abuse to a survivor of sexual abuse. Now, if you take this and you place it in any arena in life, take mental health problems, for example. This is what a victim looks like. Woe is me. Nobody has it as bad as me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. My situation is different than anybody else's. Life's over. I can't do it anymore. I've got these issues. I've got that is those issues. And as I said last week, as it pertains to abuse or anything else, I'm not being insensitive to the difficulties that people have had to suffer. If anything, I want to be there 
for people that are suffering through those things. But this is what this guy said. He said, I went from being a victim of those things to a survivor of those things. The difference is I'm not defined by my past and what happened. I'm going to use what I went through as a ministry to heal other people. There are examples of that in this room right now of people who are doing that, taking the broken pieces, the shatteredness that we experience and then say, how can I be used by God to further his kingdom? But what does the enemy want? The enemy wants you to quit. The enemy, the enemy wants you to find death as a form of comfort. And the enemy definitely wants you uh, to blame God. So notice the direction that, that Job turns, okay? And we're going to get further into, into Job with this. Listen to this. First, Job relies on God's comfort. Keep in mind that his comfort was death, all right? Job is going on further. He finds his comfort in God. This is what he says in Job 19, 25. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth. I don't think my Redeemer lives. I don't have some confidence that he's here. I don't think sometimes when things are bad that he's going to take care of me. I know I'm going to stand on it. It doesn't matter how bad things get. He is my comfort. He is my security. He is Jehovah Jireh that continues to provide. The breath that I have in my lungs is because of him. I'm not going to drown myself out on social media. I'm not going to drown myself out on Netflix. Woe is me. Life is bad. He has my future in his hand. Six months from now, five years from now, 25 years from now, your story is already written. Are you going to live into that story? Are you going to be that? Is the Holy Spirit going to take control of everything that you do? Or is it, woe is me, this happened to me, my life is over. Get over yourself. Sorry, I'll calm down. <laughs> anyway, that's how I feel. I'm a little bit passionate. All right. So he starts to rely on Job's, on God's comfort. And this is where the rubber really starts to, I'm never going to apologize for that again, by the way. This is where the rubber really meets the road of his faith. And his faith is able to stand on its own. It's not this superficial, I do a little Bible study every day. I listen to a little bit of praise and worship. It's God, you're all I have. If I'm going to be the husband I need to be, if I'm going to be the friend that I'm going to be, if I'm going to be able to go back to work, if I'm going to be the wife I need to be, if I'm going to be all of these things, I have to have you and all of you and nothing else. Stop letting everything in culture define me and tell me what I'm supposed to be. It's all about you. How can I believe that you saved my soul from hell and you will not take care of me in this life? It's his comfort. Job knows that his Redeemer lives. He's not asking questions about that. He's moved past it. And as it pertains to mental anguish, this is the point in which we must find comfort. When we accept sometimes, there is no way out. It's just too hard. It's a chemical imbalance. There's crazy things that happen in our minds. But God will always find a way in. He's healing lepers. He's healing the blind. He's bringing Lazarus back to life. 
and he can't restore you? What, what makes you so bad? What makes you so uh, corrupted and, and, and disposable to God to where you couldn't be healed? It's the comfort that he brings. But also notice that Job chooses obedience. He chooses obedience, and this is absolutely critical. Because people don't choose obedience. They choose their own way. This is what he says. He knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come out as gold. Can't control my circumstances. I really miss my kids. I had all this wealth. I had all these things. But in the face of all of these horrible realities, I am going to continue to press forward. And I have to tell you from experience, it's just amazing what he does in your life when you do that. When you get out of this victim mentality, when you recognize that he really does love you that much, and I know we don't understand it the majority of the time, but the work that he continues to do, he chooses obedience. Job's confidence and comfort are in God, but he also knows that he has a choice in the direction that he chooses to go. And this leads to his next action. Job turns to God as provider. He turns to God as provider. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides over and over again. Job 23.10, I'm sorry, Job 38.41. Who is it that feeds the ravens? You see the parallels in the Sermon on the Mount where we just were when Jesus talked this way? Who is it that feeds the ravens when they wonder about hungry? When their young cry out to me for food, God will take care of you. I promise. I promise. And that may not look like exactly what you think it should look like. But keep in mind that you are going through a refining process and he is doing everything to bring out the goodness and the glory within you. It's just not going to look a lot of times like we think that it should. So this is what Job is saying. In my darkest moments, in my difficult moments, when I cannot figure it out, when unfortunately things are so bad, I lose my job. When things are so bad and I'm so crippled, I have to go to the hospital. When things are so bad that it feels like all I don't have a support system, like the people around me are not there. There are people listening today that will listen to this later that know exactly what I'm talking about. I am going to trust and obey. And then I'm going to watch him provide. I'm going to trust and obey. There's a lot. My crazy mind is not always in my control. The, the overwhelming fear, the you're not good enough, the anxiety is often not in my control, but these things are. Trust 
obey and watch him provide every single time. You see, some of you are at a crossroads moment where God is calling you out. He's calling you toward more. Some of you in here, you have gifts that I can't even begin to touch. You have gifts, you have ways of reaching people, you have ways of, of, of getting into the cracks of people's lives that I'll never have the ability to do. And if you trust and you'd obey and you'd walk forward and watch him provide, you'd shake the foundations of everything around you and you'd look back and you would never be able to stop thanking God for what he delivered you from. Trust, obey, watch him provide. So what's the outcome? of Job's life. What does this end up looking like? Look at the last chapter in Job 42. Then the Lord changed Job's fortune when he prayed for his friends and the Lord doubled all of his earlier possessions. All his brothers and sisters and acquaintances came to him and they ate food, which is a, a, a Middle Eastern ancient way of celebrating. They ate food with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him concerning all of the disaster that the Lord had brought in on him. And each one of them gave him a kesida, which is a form of money in the ancient world, and a gold ring. Then the Lord blessed Job's latter days more than his former ones. He gave him even more and he will give you even more every time if you learn this basic formula. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. No women in all the land were as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave an inheritance to them, an inheritance to them along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. Now listen, do you remember? Hopefully your memory's not too short term that you remember that this is the same guy that said death would be comfort. He lives 140 years and saw four generations of his children. Then Job died old and he was what? He was satisfied. He was satisfied. Look at where we go through all of this pain and the suffering. Verse 42, 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. You know, to restore in Hebrew, a shuv means to, to give back. All right, but you want to know what it means greater than that? A revival of the heart. A revival of the heart. Revival from the dead. There's this parallel to the cross. There's this parallel to where you are a sinner. You are a broken person. You are messed up and you can't do it without God. And you want to know something? There are some of you that I talk to at this church and you know you can't do it without God. Some of you like yourself a little bit more than that. But a lot of you recognize that you can't do it without God. And this is the exact same thing that is going on in this moment. He is experiencing a complete, imagine if you felt like you were taking too much medication, you couldn't get out of bed, you were a different person than you used to be, you're struggling, and imagine if you had a revival of the heart and everything was restored. 
That's the promise to you. That's the promise to you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Three divorces, broken family, generational patterns of, of anger and, and, and hurt, mental health, revival of the heart. Jesus restores every single bit of it. If you trust and you obey, believing that God will provide, you will inherit the blessing. Now, that doesn't mean that anxiety just overnight goes away. Amen? Anybody know that? It doesn't mean that your depression just subsides and you're no longer depressed. I told you I couldn't give you that in this series last week. It doesn't mean that all of the hurt and the damage and the post-traumatic stress and the things that you're going through are not present. But if you trust and obey, you will receive the blessing. But the place that you must go to in your mind is this first mentality of, I can't do it. I can't go any further. God has abandoned me. Life is no good. There are all these problems. There are all these issues. Yada, yada, yada. Where Job's friends were a lot of the time. Where Job's wife definitely was. To I can't do it without God. Until you've really been on your face and that reality has hit you and you've had the comfort to all of a sudden walk forward into that promise and that truth, also scared to death because you don't know what's about to happen. You have no idea what I'm talking about. But the beauty is you can know and you can understand that today. Listen to me. Don't die one day living a story that God never intended for you. Live the story He has for you. Your rock, your foundation, your comforter, your goodness, beyond all of the mystery, beyond all of the things that you cannot understand, the beauty and glory of God that cares so much for his creation that he sent his son to die for the sins of humanity. You know what some of you need to do today? You need to turn a leaf. You need to flip a page. In fact, you need to throw an old book out and you need to accept you may suffer like crazy the rest of your life. But when you live your story and what God has for you, it's going to change lives around you every single day. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit Believer'sChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.